Then put your Yep, ladies and gentlemen, that was Double Helix playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. Welcome to the Charles Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. This is Jonathan Foster here, and we've got something really amazing going on today because it's the 30th anniversary of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I wasn't just playing that song at the beginning just to, <laughs> for shits and giggles like I tend to do sometimes on this podcast. Um, yeah. We have my adopted stepson here. Uh, what I mean, are you a stepson now? How did that happen? I don't know. I just made that up. How's it going, Phil? Hey, I mean, for the benefit of my real family, yeah, let's keep it stepson. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's you know, it's your honorary fifth turtle. It's Phil. I'm here. I'm fine. <laughs> and also joining us today, we got PCC manager. I always call her manager Nat because we've got 25 yeah. billion Natalies at the cinema sometimes. <laughs> So, uh, Natalie Proudluck, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Uh, yeah, slight exaggeration. We have two. <laughs> At one point, we had three. So, it was a good yeah, way to that, get everyone that was sort a of right. Time. Yeah. <laughs> we have someone called Pat, so that can get, you know, on the radio. Gee, yeah, Pat God. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how we work in that place. It's, it's crazy. It's a bizarre place. <laughs> We had Natalie back on in episode nine. It was our episode where we were talking about Street Fighter and other video game films. Um, so if you want to listen to that, if you want to get a, an idea of what was going on back then when uh, the world was still amazing, um, <laughs> or was well, it? I don't know. Maybe not. It's still maybe, amazing. We just can't see it. To be, to be honest, it, the world might be getting better. We're living in a bit of uh, <clears throat> you know positivity here on this podcast. So you know the the environment's great. Um, you know. You know, carbon carbon footprint is uh, reducing here by us humans, so it's really good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, silver Natalie, linings. yeah, silver linings. Um, yeah, so Natalie was back on episode nine. Uh, on that episode, yeah. I also made reference a couple of times to my pal's book called "Lights, Camera, Game Over: How Video Game Movies Get Made." Is that the right title? That's correct. Cool. And that pal is joining us today. He's one half of the Under Constellation, the Games Master podcast, and a member of one of the world's premier wrestling news and review channels on YouTube. It's Wrestle Talks Luke Owen. Hello, everyone. Uh, I, yes, I am Luke Owen, the only fan of Mona Lisa, the, uh, the often forgotten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. From the oh, uh, Fox show. Yeah. Oh, that was such a good show. Yeah. Oh, man. Even with the weird dragons, it was good. <laughs> All right, now that I'm done with my weird radio spill, this is the first time I've had like four different people at one time. So it's like uh, in introducing two people instead of us <laughs> just goofing off. Uh, so yeah, yeah like, sorry, uh, let's, jump in. how are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> 
awkward silence. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I'm I was going to say, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to go first. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, doing very, very well here. Just, you know, trying to survive through this crazy situation we've found ourselves in. Um, and, you know, working through isolation one day at a time. Yeah. <laughs> How's uh, things over at WrestleTalk? How are you guys like getting on? Are you guys like just doing everything from home? Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. Like, uh, so Ollie, uh, one of our, you know, my boss and my co-host, he has set up a seven foot green screen in his living room that extends like into his kitchen that he just puts up every day with his lighting rig and camera set up. His girlfriend <laughs> has become his first AD because uh, <laughs> she's currently not working at the moment uh, due, to, due to what's going on. Uh, and the rest of us are just, you know, doing podcasts remotely. And I feel like I'm working harder now than I was you know, three weeks ago is kind of crazy, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I quite enjoy spending time in my office anyway and not seeing their stupid faces. So I'm very <laughs> enjoying this time away from everyone. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, Natalie, how, how about you? It's been a long time since we had you on the podcast. Anything new? And uh, how are you spinning your isolation? I mean, I would ask Phil, but I know he's just rolled up in a ball probably 95% of the time. So, <laughs> Oh, how'd you know? <laughs> uh, I'm good, yeah. I'm not losing my mind yet. Uh, toilet paper situation's looking kind of dire. I'm going to have to go on the mission <laughs> later oh, on. Uh, but yeah, I'm all right. I've been playing a lot of games, chilling out. It's good. You know, I, I grew up as an only child, so I'm pretty good at occupying my time when I'm alone. So I think nice I'm, I'm well prepared. Nice. Uh, have you and been also, streaming? Also as a gamer. Oh, yeah. You're getting all the time. I haven't. Game. Yeah. I haven't been streaming yet. I'm going to start that probably at the weekend, I think. Uh, but yeah, like I did some recording for YouTube. So yeah, it's going all right. Sweet. We'll give all those plugs at the end, but before we do, we can just go ahead and shout out um, your left hand game. Uh, what is it? Left hand games? Is that left what it is? Left hand shake. Left left hand shake. Why do I keep forgetting yeah. that? Left hand shake. Yeah, so we'll do proper plugs at the end as well. Cool. Let's just get into a little bit of user feedback. Phil, play that music. No, that's oh. not how it works. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> You're feedback. I just want to fuck with uh, people who have never been on this podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> now at the time. Yeah. To be honest, we don't have too much that I'm going to uh, throw out right now because I've got a new little segment to attach on to user feedback this week. And actually going forward from Twitter, we have our pal Aria tweeted in with reference to our Ferry Road episode and said, the opening paragraph of David Elric's Time Out London's review of Fury Road is so good. I still think about it and I bring it up whenever I can. Thanks for continuing the podcast despite everything. And that line is the fourth installment of George Miller's rambunctious post-apocalyptic saga arrives in theaters like a tornado tearing through a tea party in an age of weightless <laughs> spectacles that studios whittle down from visions to products. Here's a movie that feels like it was made by kidnapping $150 million of Warner Brothers money, absconding with 
with it to the Namibian desert and sending footage back to Hollywood like an amputated body parts of ransom hostage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, Aria, thanks so much for uh, shouting out to us and everything. Uh, we haven't heard from you in a while, so it's nice to see you tweeting at us and everything. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can always hit us up at the PCC podcast or you can send us an email at podcast at PrinceCharlesCinema.com. Uh, there's another little thing that we've been doing at the PCC is sort of a little up- update. Um, I'll give you a couple of updates, actually. One thing we've been doing is we've been doing our four-year playlist. Have you guys seen that? Mm-hmm. I have not, no. Okay, so uh, the Prince Charles Cinema, like, Luke, I'm sure you know, like, when you come in, sometimes you might, like... Uh, hear that there's music playing there's always sort of interesting music mm-hmm. playing in our foyer so one of the things we've been trying to do now is uh on spotify we've been creating foyer playlists and each staff member has been like submitting what their playlist would be if they were on shift and it nice sort of a nice little vibe getting uh us all kind of involved doing something and kind of feeling like work is still very much a thing <laughs> so yeah we have a couple up uh our general manager Faye did the first one and then uh yesterday a uh, new one came out from jesse it's really cool if you want to go check those out just i don't know you can find it on our prince charles cinema's uh social media pages over on instagram and facebook and twitter so it's pretty cool but also another thing we're doing is we're sending out in our emails, we're trying to make them a little bit more interactive with people during this time. We can't hard sell anything because obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> no films on. So with, without just selling our memberships all the time, we're trying to like interact with customers a little bit more. And we started asking some questions in emails. And so what we're going to start doing is get a question from an email like on a Tuesday and then on Thursday's email, the podcast will go out and then we'll also start reading out some of the answers. The question that went out last week was, what are some of your favorite cinema experiences? Do you guys have any answers to that? Favorite cinema experiences? Just off the top yeah. of your head. <laughs> I think probably one of my most memorable experiences was going to see Ghostbusters 2. I was living in Australia at the time. We came over for Christmas one year. Uh, my mom took me and like nine of my cousins to see <laughs> Ghostbusters too, nice. and we were just we were just on our worst behavior. Everyone was calling her <laughs> mom just to shut her up. Oh, nice! <laughs> but yeah, it was a good time. Nice one. How about you, Luke? Uh, I didn't really do my usual sort of like get to know you a little bit because I want to try to get <laughs> through all this uh, turtle stuff that we got coming up. But um, but yeah, like Luke, uh, before. I let you answer that question of your favorite cinema experience. How'd you get to know the Prince Charles cinema? The first, like, when's the first time you came? So actually, I mean, the two answers are kind of connected in a okay. way. Um, and I, I didn't want to sound like really sycophantic by being like, my favorite time was at the Prince Charles cinema, because I'm now on your <laughs> podcast. Um, but it was like, it. me and my friends went to a Friday the 13th all-nighter when you guys did parts one through eight. Mm-hmm. Um and it was just a really, really fun movie experience. It was one of those times, like in the lead up to, we were, like the three of us were dead excited to get down there. And as soon as like the opening credits started for part one, I suddenly thought, ah, oh, I'm about to sit down and watch eight movies back to back with not a lot of like downtime between them. And then once the eighth one had finished, we felt that the, the, the marathon wasn't totally complete. So we went back, uh, we got the train back to, we were living in Reading at the time and watched 9, 10, Freddy vs. Jason and the remake. 
Nice. <laughs> so, <Hi. laughs> yeah, so that was that was my first time with the Prince Charles, and I've been uh, a regular ever since. I've done a fair number of all nighters mm-hmm. um, and double bills, and uh, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of, of the work that you guys do there. I'm a lifetime member. Um, in fact, actually, I had two lifetime memberships at one point. Oh yeah, so I had, <laughs> yeah, because Ollie bought a, you one, right? That's right. Yeah, so I had a lifetime <laughs> membership, and my wife had one, and then because my wife got me mine for Valentine's Day one year. And then as my wedding presents, uh, one of my groomsmen bought me and my wife um, uh, lifetime membership. So I'm like, ah, I've already got one. <laughs> so yeah, so I was a tw- I'm a two-time lifetime member. Uh, I've got enough to take me through for a long old time. Um, so, yeah, In this life I- and the next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're never getting rid of me. Um, uh, yeah, and I think like outside of the Prince Charles, if I was to say one of my other favorite film experiences one that really sticks in my mind was when my parents took me and my brother to see uh, Jurassic Park in 93 mm-hmm. and my dad tells the story now that he'd read the book and he wasn't sure what the film was going to be like but he knew the book was like pretty you know pretty gory at times so he was like I don't know if the kid's going to be fine because I'd have been seven and uh, as soon as that raptor scene started like right at the start I buried my head into his arm and my dad was like, oh, oh I've made a terrible mistake. Uh, <laughs> nice. I would say probably one of my favorite experiences would be something dealing with uh, maybe going to see Jurassic Park at a drive through cinema. And it was like a double feature. And nice. it was uh, it was Andre, that film about the sea lion. Or the the seal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Jurassic Park. And it was such a funny, like... Quite a double yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're essentially the same movie. (laughs) Phil, how about yourself? Do you have a favorite experience in the cinema? Yeah, like at at, the cinema. Yeah, at the Prince Charles specifically, or Uh, it could be any really. Uh, To be honest, I'm going to read out a couple of things that uh, people emailed in, um, but the answers are all Prince Charles related. It seems (laughs) okay, but yeah, you can do whatever. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard not to pick something from the Prince Charles, you know, because I work there. And um, I've spent most of my life there. And, you know, in the last year or so, we've uh, screened some, like, classic, like, thrown some old films I've never seen on the big screen that I got a chance to watch, like, highlights would be, like, The Matrix or Enter the Dragon or The Warriors. Those were really, like, special experiences. But... I don't know. I'm trying to think of any from my childhood. My brother used to take me every week, so it was such a like recurring thing. I don't have any particular favorite. Um, I remember going to uh, New York once when I was 13, and uh, it was 2008, I think, and Dark Knight was playing, and so we went to see it there. And it was the first time I had seen like a crowd actually interact with a film. I'd never seen that before. It was just people were like yelling and laughing and like screaming all at the like right moment. And it was just amazing. And it was sort of like a, um, you know, foreshadowing of how much the room would affect me in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I go to cinema a lot. I love, um, I'm a big fan of the Genesis and they do a lot of great events. I went to a Simpsons marathon there once. And that was just a dream come true. And oh yeah, I remember when they were doing that. Yeah, yeah. And they and they always like they do events like in the bar where they just throw up some old TV or some old wrestling event. That mm-hmm. one, I yeah. took my brother to a 
they were showing Royal Rumble 92, like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. And buy it, or we just sat there, we drank, or we ate pizza, and it was amazing. And he had no idea what would what was waiting for him. It was like a birthday gift. And he still couldn't believe it, like why a cinema would be showing like an old <laughs> WWF pay-per-view from back in the day. But, you know, it's the best Rumble, so it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, 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 the only one I could think of. Sick. Well, if you want to speak about wrestling-related stuff, uh, here we go. Here we <laughs> yeah, go. Here we go. <laughs> we'll try to keep it to a minimum, uh, much to you the chagrin. You can probably of, hear my eyes glancing. Yeah. Over. <laughs> <laughs> the eyes roll all but the way back. It. Just to get into like a little bit of how I know Luke and everything was uh, basically he's on that Wrestle Talk thing, so it's like a YouTube show where they talk about wrestling, review wrestling pay per views and shows, and just talk about old times and all sorts of fun stuff. And, um, yeah, so I'd been kind of trying to get in touch with him, uh, about doing something at the cinema and it'd be kind of fun. And, uh, I, I, funny enough was watching while at work putting, I think I was putting films on sale or something. And I like had a wrestle talk window in the corner of my screen. Luke and Ollie were on just talking to each other and Luke had on the Friday the 13th, like I heart the PCC <laughs> t-shirt on. And I just instantly just like tweeted out from the cinema's account and then also just ended up sending them a message. And that's how that whole thing started. And we start doing like, you know, Beyond the Mat at the cinema. Uh, and then we did one, uh, yeah. Ready to Rumble as well. So that was super fun. Uh, so yeah, just a little bit of a backstory between myself and Luke's relationship. Luke, I don't know if you want people to know this, but you also had like with your, uh, I can delete this out, but um, Where's it going? <laughs> with your, your, another funny tie to the cinema, did you, did you not like take wedding photos or at the cinema? Yeah. So it was our uh, engagement, engagement shoot. Yeah. Uh, we did it. So mine and my uh, wife's first date was at the Prince Charles cinema. Yeah. Um, so we thought like when our photographer approached us trying to get more money out of us and made the suggestion <laughs> of an engagement shoot. And I'm like, oh, okay, I mean, yeah, we've got money to burn. Let's also have an engagement shoot. Um, we, the, we thought the only place we really wanted to do it was at the Prince Charles. So we contacted uh, you guys and you said, yeah, that's fine. You just come in before it officially opens. You can use the cinema for an hour. We're like, that's all we need. So <laughs> we met with our photographer and uh, yeah, we took some photos in that, which uh, with some of which we've got hanging up in our living room now. So the Prince Charles is always with me. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a really, like you guys were so accommodating to that. And it was a, a really nice and fun day. Nice one. That's cool, man. It's nice to hear stories like that. Um, to get to some of the other people's stories, like I said, a lot of these uh, are their experience seems to be Prince Charles Cinema related. Uh, we had someone email in named Timothy Anderson. He said, "Not trying to flatter you, but I think all of my favorite experiences have been at the Prince Charles. Uh, one, the first time I saw the room on the big screen, it was a midnight showing, I think, and it was every bit as fun as I hoped it would be. Two, Casablanca with a live pianist and a glass of red wine." <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot we used to do that. Yeah, because we had that piano and we just never use it anymore. Yeah, it used to be for live piano scores. Uh, number three, by a sheer coincidence, you showed two of my favorite films back to back on my birthday. It was Rushmore and Ghost World. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer with the beer and pizza. Tampopo on the big screen. I make ramen for a living, so this was a big deal to me. Uh, so yeah, it's a nice few uh, experiences there. Let's see, we had... Mark Cusack, no relation to John, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> uh, has to be seen Fellowship of the Ring with my 12-year-old sister when it was shown again in the cinema in Dublin a few years back. It was my 14th time seeing it on the big screen. Managed to get 11 or 12 showings back in December 2001 to January 2002 when it was released. 
when I was 12 myself. It was her first time uh, repeating the experience with a miniature version of my, beside me uh, was very, very special. Uh, you guys are effing awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice one. Uh, that's a lot of times to see that film. Uh, I'm going to save this one for last because it's pretty hilarious. One second. Uh, so Grace Cook said uh, the first ever PCC all-nighter that I went to had been years in the making for me. Ever since I was a child, my dad told me about cinemas that were open all night in the 70s. And I had been waiting to find a cinema where I can make this dream a reality. Hello, Prince Charles. You screened a bunch of high school classics. The screen was <laughs> packed. We had an all-night host who got us up to play games in between screenings. Old episodes of Saved by the Bell were screened in the bar for people who needed a break. And every time I went upstairs to get coffee and a cigarette, I was greeted by two hulking Adonis-like slapheads playing hardcore metal music in the kiosk. <laughs> it was the perfect night. That's the foyer playlist. <laughs> that sounds like the most PCC thing ever. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm trying to, to piece together who, that, who that would be. Yeah, is it just like Paul, uh, Paul Carey or Paul Gallivan? And um, I don't know. <laughs> Adonis's. Uh, this one's just really hilarious, uh, and I just had to pull it out. So this is from Isabella Silver. So my favorite cinema experience was going to the cinema age 16 to see Twilight New Moon on opening night with <laughs> six of my friends. We were all, all completely obsessed with the first film in the books, and our teenage hysteria had reached absolute fever pitch. I remember sitting in the packed cinema with a couple of hundred horny teenagers <laughs> and feeling so unbelievably giddy, drunk on the force of my own hormones. It felt, <laughs> it felt almost dangerous. I truly... <laughs> I truly thought there would be a riot when Robert Pattinson took off his shirt in that Italian village. It is definitely the worst <laughs> film of the series, and perhaps ever, but rewatching it as an adult, I can still feel that fizzing, nervous energy of sitting in the cinema. Thanks for helping me keep enter- keeping entertained uh, with all you do. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. That's so good. That's a good story. I remember that, like... Uh, buzz back when twilight was going on i remember being in like taco bell and there was just like cups of team edward or team jacob and it was just like girls like little girls inside of the taco bell just like getting their cups and just staring at them and just fighting with each other of like who was who was better who would win <laughs> i was working in an office when those those books were out i think it might have been must have been like before the movies got though I think the movies had been out by that point. But one of the girls that was working there was defending was because someone had said, like, hey, they're vampires. Like, why don't they explode when they see sunlight? And she just like, Well, there is no sun where they are. It's so overcast. That's why they're allowed to go outside. <laughs> God, could you imagine uh, if that worked, Britain would just be overrun with them. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a few of them work at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely at least one. Yeah. yeah. We know. We know who you are. <laughs> oh, well, that was really fun. Uh, if you want to, like I said, send us anything to read out, uh, just hit us up at the PCC podcast on Twitter or Instagram, or you can send us an email at podcast at com. Also, just go, go over to the Prince Charles Cinema's website, princechallscinema.com. Uh, on the main page, you'll find a little thing that says subscribe to our email list. You can get on our email list and uh, we send out emails Right now, I think every Tuesday and Thursday where we'll be asking questions like this. And who knows, maybe uh, your response will get read out on the podcast. 
because that's always fun. Me stumbling through people's writings. <laughs> uh, Can I tell one more Prince Charles story before we move on? Yeah, it's just, sure. It's just, I've just been reminded of it, actually, when I was listening to those emails. My actual first time with the Prince Charles was in 2004. Uh, oh, okay. I went to a Kevin Smith Q&A session. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it came full circle quite recently because at that 2004 uh, screen, I must have been 2007, rather, because I was in my final year of uni. I uh, was writing my dissertation uh, on Clerks 2. So I got to ask him a question about that because I needed to have a certain number of quotes in it to be classified as a full university dissertation. And then when I went to go see Jane Silent Bob reboot, thanks to you, John, um, I got to thank Kevin Smith in person for answering (laughs) that question some 13 years later. Yeah, that was a really sweet moment, actually. It was pretty funny sitting next to you and Ali and Julia. And uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. Kevin, he spent like quite a long time on uh, just talking to you about that, which was really funny, (laughs) (laughs) as he's known to do. (laughs) That's really sweet. Yeah. Kevin's a good guy. Well, um, Natalie, I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll throw this to you. All right. So we, we obviously can't do our normal thing of where we're, you know, talking about what's going on in the program. And uh, I, you know, just shout it out to all the staff members trying to see, hey, who wants to come on, fill our podcast with some really good, fun stuff. And I said, how about some stuff that we never get to show? One thing that we never get to show is, what is it, Natalie? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. You are my eyes and ears. We've been waiting for you, Miss O'Neill. There is a new enemy. Freaks of nature. Together we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big title in a trench coat. in it's as far as i'm aware it's in some kind of rights limbo so we've never been able to show it yeah uh which is a shame yeah uh i believe the company that originally made it no longer exists or the distributor in the uk or something um so yeah we've never been able to show it and it's a crying shame it's a crying crying shame i've actually got a little clip paul vickery who is the Shout out, Paul. He's our programmer here at the cinema, the person we're always shouting out. Um, He's recorded a little thing for me to talk about the the rights issues with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I'm going to put in now. Back in 2009, I want to say, we started to look at finding films that were no longer theatrically available and bringing them back to the big screen. 
this can be an easy process, but nine times out of 10 is quite a hard one. You need to find if a studio no longer exists who released and owns the film, you've got to go to sales agents or producers or directors to get them to sign off to say, it's okay to screen your film. There's a few films that aren't theatrically available that at the times, I think most of them still aren't, but at the time we wanted to do the Transformers animated movie, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Monster Squad, Point Break, and I believe Lahane, um, they were the films that we were going to start looking into bringing back. I thought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles wouldn't be too tough uh, a film to license, given the fact that they continue to be produced and it's such a large entity, you would think that some large company would have swallowed it up and continued to own that film. But because the original film was an independent film, was released by a company back in 1990 in the UK uh, called Virgin Vision. As soon as they no longer exist, then you have to look into who acquires that. The film was then re-released in the UK again in uh, 2003 um, by a company called Medusa Comms. Um, they're quite famous, especially uh, for, amongst VHS collectors, of releasing tons of really awful but great films. Um, so if ever you're looking for some of that sort of content, just look up for the titles of Medusa comms. But they were the last known um, distributor of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film um, from back in 2003. So the journey for this particular film starts with who bought Medusa comms. They don't exist anymore. So you looked for the studio who bought out Medusa comms. And I believe it was... It might, E1, it might be entertainment. It was one of those two companies. Um, I don't have money to hand, but they were bought out by a large studio. And then once you go to that larger studio, they would usually take over the library that they've bought along with them and have a sort of shelf life with it. Sadly, the studio that had picked, bought Musical Comms library no longer owned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So then I thought, okay, well, who owns it outright? Um, which is Viacom. They own paramount who own nickelodeon who own the teenage ninja turtles i think that's sort of like the general structure of it from that point once you kind of think of that structure then you got to try and get in touch with these people which as you can as you can imagine isn't always as easy through my many emails to people sort of on a, a level similar to my own at these companies slowly my i would work my way up through the food chain and i was speaking to people who work in the legal departments uh at Viacom and at Nickelodeon, at Paramount, um, I had Lionsgate involved at one point. We were all trying to figure out who owned this. They all owned a piece of it at some time. They had, some had video on demand, some had DVD rights, some had VHS. And it's just, it was a total mess. Nobody could come forward and own it. And through that journey, the fortunate thing was there was also the Monster Squad was was the film was also looking at and through our journeys trying to source the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we'd found out that actually in the UK, Paramount owned the UK theatrical rights to the Monster Squad through a purchase they'd made of a library from a company that had bought Brave World who initially released the Monster Squad. So that was quite a fortunate um, discovery, which was kind of running alongside obviously wanting to screen the Monster Squad, but my main sort of charge was to bring back the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But strangely, it still stands as a film that's not available theatrically in the UK. Um, it's had a Blu-ray release recently, and we were in discussions with the studio who released that to hopefully do a, a screening, a sort of promotional screening as such for that release, which never came to fruition. And every time I've sort of gone back around and asked some questions about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I mean, firstly, no one's really too concerned with 
one cinema trying to screen this one film if they don't own the rights to it or most people don't really want to help and for the large studios you know they've got new releases to focus on so these older films don't take any precedence for them as, as something that they need to attend to or help so you've kind of got to rely on good contacts that you've had to help you out sadly no one has managed to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the UK for as long as I can remember sort of hoping one of those um, like cinema events or one-off screening companies that do screenings across the US and sometimes around the UK managed to crack that nut and bring the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back because it is I think would be a very popular film and I remember seeing it as a kid at the cinema and it was one of my favorite cinema experiences as a as a youngster would love to see it again um, because the film holds up I've watched it again recently I mean who are we kidding I've watched it quite a bit over the years and yeah, it's just a damn shame it's not available. But keep your fingers crossed for us, and hopefully one day it will be. Thanks so much, Paul, for doing that. Look at that magic of uh, podcasting here. Big Apple, 3 a.m. Heroes in a Half Shell, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, follows a quartet of mutated humanoid turtles who clash with an uprising criminal gang of ninjas. That's really ambiguous, but who cares? It's the 1990 Kawabunga classic directed by Steve Barron. Steve Barron, he's an Irish-born English director who is known for directing a ton of 1980s biggest music videos, including The Dire Straits' Money for Nothing. Hello, Julia. You love that song and that video. Uh Aha's Take On Me and Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Uh, He's also directed the films Electric Dreams, Basically, it's the 1980s version of Her, if you've never seen it. He's directed Coneheads, and he also directed The Adventures of Pinocchio. (laughs) 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 And that's the one with, uh, there was the live action with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Martin Landau. Have you guys seen any of those films? I have, I've seen Coneheads like years ago. Yeah. Coneheads Uh, is a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... But I discovered he also directed a few episodes of uh, a TV series called The Storyteller. Do you know, do you remember that? Maybe you were a bit too young to remember that. Uh, To be honest, like, I don't know if that was much of a thing in America, but I mean, that is how he was linked to do the Turtles. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, So we'll get to that, I imagine. But Yeah. yeah, if you've never seen The Storyteller, go and check it out. It's great. Yeah, it's like a Jim Henson thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got John Hurt as the the titular storyteller, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all kind of fairy tales. But it's, yeah, it's really good. Nice one. How about you guys? Have uh, Luke or, or Phil? Have you seen these old films like Electric Dreams, Coneheads, or even The Adventures of Pinocchio? It's a recent. Uh, how did this get made? Movie, I think actually, The Adventures of Pinocchio. Uh, but I, um, I, I've seen Coneheads way, way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my Steve Barron uh, knowledge was uh, Mike Bassett, England manager. Mm-hmm. It's uh, okay. a footy, footy. I know that I was at one point. Footy, footy, lads. Uh, uh, not, not so much anymore. Um, but it, it's a really, really funny movie. I really like Ricky Tomlinson. And um, yeah, uh, when I interviewed Steve Barron a uh, number of years ago, oh, cool. um, and it was about the revival of Mike Bassett because they were doing a Kickstarter, I think, to trying to do like another movie. I think they ended up doing more web, like they did some webisodes of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was when I got to ask him, like, when, you know, got to speak to Steve Barron, I was like, oh, you know, this would be really interesting. And I asked the person in charge of the PR, I was like, can I ask him about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing? <laughs> <And they're> like, <laughs> 
yeah, if you if you do all the microbacid stuff first, I was like, oh yeah, 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 so, yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, 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 yeah, yeah. That's we'll get there, we'll get there, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But interestingly enough, actually, my uh, my wife's old housemate used to be the uh, personal assistant to Steve Barron. Oh wow, wow, yeah, that's amazing. In a very 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 weird sort of small world kind of way. Nice, that's weird. Yeah, I should probably uh, preface this with uh, the fact that Luke actually, in one of the main reasons why he's on this podcast today, uh, and I've been trying to get him on for a while, just trying to find the right place to put it in and figure out what we can do together. And it's a lot, it's a lot trying to schedule a podcast. But um, anyway, like Luke actually wrote a really nice article about, it's like a three-parter, right? For Flickering Myth. Uh, about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where you interviewed, you know, numerous people from the project, right? That's right. Yeah. So I interviewed like uh, Steve Barron, the producer Tom Gray, Kevin Eastman was one of the co-creators, and a couple of the suit actors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was meant to be a three-part series because I did the production histories of part one, two, and I did do I did write through uh, the, the one for the third movie, which actually was sort of the reason why I started doing it in the first place because okay. I was just. Well, I woke up one morning and I just thought, like, why is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 a bad movie? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd just reach out to the producers to, you know, find out how the film got made. And he was just like, oh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was uh, Peter Laird's fault. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, now I know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of put together these production histories because I just, like, I was after my book had got uh, released. I was mm-hmm. just a real, like, I really enjoyed doing that and I wanted to do more of it but didn't have the time to write another book so I uh, I just thought I'm just going to do this about films that I like so I did, you know, I did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I did um, Garbage Pale Kids movie nice. um, and uh, the animated Transformers movie so I just, I just basically just picked out films that I liked and I was like I'm going to find out how these were made that uh, sounds just, good you know track down the people that made them yeah that's cool I mean I'll, I'll to be honest, I, I used that first part about this first film um, a little bit when I was doing some research and stuff. But I'll also use you a little bit as a fact checker if uh, if I say anything <laughs> wrong. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film from that original 90s early series. Uh, the film itself was basically the culture pinnacle of the insanely popular franchise. It was based on the comic series, as as Luke mentioned earlier, uh, created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird in 1984. Uh, following the success of the comics, the Turtles turned into basically a money-making machine an <laughs> empire. You could put their face on anything and it would sell. Uh, it was particularly after Eastman and Laird partnered with a guy named Mark Freeman. Freeman would help expand the franchise by striking deals with like Playmates toys, and they created the whole line of action figures, which led to a really popular Saturday morning cartoon show, basically with more characters that they could use to sell more toys, uh, throw in clothing, books, anti-drug PSA, skateboards, lunchboxes, <laughs> video games, you name it. They slapped the turtles on it. Uh, the turtles were everywhere, except for the big screen. How, how far back? I mean, Phil, I know you're roughly like just a little bit younger than me, how far back do you guys go with Turtles? And uh, like, where did you get into the Ninja Turtles for, you know, from the get-go? Uh, I was a massive Turtles fan when I was a kid. I think when the TV series came out, I was maybe like seven or so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had so much Turtle shit. And I was <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's some embarrassing pictures of me somewhere in like a Ninja Turtles outfit for Halloween. <laughs> if I find it, I'll I'll send it to you. Nice. Post on Twitter or something. <laughs> My brother just sent me a picture this morning for some reason of me and the baby sitting on his bed, 
uh, and the sheet. I think, oh, can you know about the episode and the, the bed sheet are just Ninja Turtles, like the <laughs> cartoon, and it's so cool. Yeah, I'll have to go through digging through. Uh, I managed to a couple years ago when I was visiting my mom back in the states. I get a big folder full of just old photos. Uh, it's really funny because my sister had this. She was the firstborn. Had this really nice photo book, you know, and everything, and it was a proper like book. And all my shit was just thrown inside of like numerous envelopes. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> no thought. Like parents were just like, ah, we've been there, done that. We don't need to do it for the baby. Fuck it. Uh, but yeah, uh, in there, I'm pretty sure I might have some stuff with some Ninja Turtle stuff. So maybe we can just collate all of our stuff together and we'll just throw it out there. It'll be a good laugh of us yeah. babies rocking turtle stuff. How about you, Luke? Uh, yeah, fan when I was a kid. So I was born in 85. Mm-hmm. So I was you know, just at like the right time for Turtle Mania, Hero Turtles, as it was uh, yeah. Yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, we'll get um, into that in a bit. Ninja <laughs> yeah. <are> too violent. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was like obsessed with the cartoon. Like I had the VHS tapes, uh, loved the games. I uh, had the, the Hyperstone Heist for the Mega Drive. So uh, I used to play that all the time with my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I was a big, big fan of the Turtles. I, re- I was taken to the cinema to see the second one. Nice. Um, by a family friend. I don't think I saw the third one in the pictures, but I definitely saw the second one. Um, but yeah, so I was like right there, right at the front for uh, for Turtle Mania during the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Nice one. Yeah, myself, I was uh, born in 89. So I basically was a little, little too young, I guess, to really like go to the cinema to see these, these first couple of films. Uh, but I, I think I've mentioned my my cousin David before on this podcast, and I don't remember where and what context it was, but it was definitely he was my link to to Ninja Turtles. Um, he was he was like such a big Turtles fan, and he was probably I don't know maybe six years older than me or something like that. So he was proper like just right in the right age bracket for it. And I just remember like second birthday, like weird memories and then i have like videotapes of like birthday parties and photos and all that sort of stuff with me rocking like turtles gear i had these like really horrible like painter's cap that was like just like leonardo's like (laughs) eyes on on the bill and stuff it was really horrible but yeah just stuff like that and um yeah i I had the vhs tapes of the first two films and i wore them out like it was (laughs) the only thing i watched as a kid and i also like played the video games a bit Particularly, like, I know then this is probably a bit like, I don't know how people feel about this video game, but I, I was right in the Super Nintendo bracket, like, of that age group. And um, we just wore out Turtles in Time. I think that was like the third. Oh, Turtles in Time, time won the best. Yeah, great. Absolutely. So, good. <laughs> so, yeah. No, yeah, um, I had a similar experience to you, John, because, yeah, I was born 93. So, again, mm-hmm. just before my time, but lucky enough to sort of, yeah, grow up on the tapes of my brother who had, who was obviously a big fan. He's like 10 years older than me. So he's 80 kid. Mm-hmm. He had like the first season of the cartoon on tape and I loved those. And he had all the toys and the turtle van and it just blew my mind. And then he yeah. showed me the movie that I got older. Um, so I didn't see any of those in the cinema. And obviously, yeah, he had the video game and it just kind of stuck with me. It's one of those things that just like always been, a part of my life as long as I can remember. Yeah, definitely. See, I I was old enough to have seen the first film at the cinema when it came out. I think it might actually be the first film I saw more than once at the cinema. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's cool. Nice. That's so cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. So, that was, yeah. And th- this was when we were living in Australia as well. So it was like, you know, we didn't really have, uh, there was like a drive through there and there was like one cinema and I think it just played the turtles. That was the only film that was showing for like months. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good times. <laughs> I think the first film I saw multiple times at the cinema was The Phantom Menace. That's because, oh, yeah. like, oh, <laughs> damn. Because <laughs> after that first screening, I was like, damn, I, I'm pretty sure I liked that film. I must have done it. Oh. Let me check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'll need to go again and double check. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was in the perfect age bracket for Phantom Menace. When I was a kid, like, I was all about the pod racing. I was like, yes. But I was smart <laughs> enough to know that Jar Jar was fucking annoying. <laughs> uh but yeah speaking of that ninja turtles film from 1990 uh so basically what what happened was the famous hong kong production company golden harvest they managed to secure the rights after there was tom gray and bobby herbeck bobby herbeck ended up writing an initial draft of the film uh he basically had been really into the comics uh he was apparently given the comics uh via an assistant from Gallagher, is that right, Luke? That's correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is- yeah, yeah it was Gallagher's road manager. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Bobby Herbeck had the comics, and he just kept pushing these comics on to uh, Tom Gray, and he was just like, oh, we got to get this made. This would be really fun. Basically, Herbeck like, finally turned around on the idea, and uh, they convinced Golden Harvest to make the film. Eastman and Laird had to have final say on the script, and they pretty much rejected all the ideas that Herbeck had in his script, apart from the bits about the Foot Clan recruiting the kids in the streets, which I think is actually one of the coolest parts of the film. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's yeah. just so dark. It's really great. I mean, you have the kid, Danny, who's throughout the whole film. Um, bit of a gobshite, I guess. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Very good use of the word, but gobshite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Golden Harvest approached Limelight Entertainment about co-producing the film with Limelight's uh, Steve Barron tapped as director. Barron had recently directed several episodes of The Storyteller, like Natalie said earlier, for Jim Henson. Uh, Golden Harvest knew that a live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film will require extensive use of animatronics, and uh, Barron's experience in the film would be invaluable to the production. Although I guess early on they were like, "Hey, this you know this is Golden Harvest. They're like, we can make this in Hong Kong. We could just throw a few guys in suits and we can just uh, rubber suits and we can just sell this to the Japanese market. <laughs> 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 throw this amazing title away to some like obscure, weird martial arts film in Asia." I was gonna say, I think they were just like a lot of people were concerned that it was going to end up being another Howard the Duck. Yes. Yeah. And- yeah. So they were like, yeah, we could probably just make it for, you know, a, a market that's not going to you know, really damage the brand. Uh, yeah, I think, although, been, yeah, I think they'd been like Howard the Duck and Superman 4, both within quite sort of close. That's right, yeah. yeah. Within recent memory and everyone's like, oh, comic yeah. book stuff. There's also like <laughs> the He-Man film, Master of the, Masters of the Universe. There was a lot of like uh, concern over that one as well. Uh, yeah. but Tim this Burton's is, Batman haven't yeah, come out yet by then. Yeah. Yeah, that that basically was getting a lot of traction and stuff, and it was in the cinemas at the time of production had started. But like, no, no studios really wanted to touch the Ninja Turtles project. Um, basically, like D- Disney, MGM, Paramount, and Warner Brothers, they all were like, "No way, uh, we're not. We're pretty sure that a comic book movie will probably flop." Uh, so that was around the time that like independent production company New Line Cinema, who's known for doing like horror 
and fantasy sort of stuff ended up stepping in to pick up the film. With Steve Barron came the approach to take the story a little bit more in the direction of the comics. Uh, Jim He brought the Jim Henson creature shot from London, and he also was able to bring along the talented young writer Tom Langan to write, to write a new script for the film. Uh, Tom Langan had been working on that show, The Wonder Years. Did you oh, guys awesome. watch Fred that? Fred Savage. Yeah, I love The Wonder Years, yeah. Such a good show. Uh, in the script is based mainly on the early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, uh, particularly that first issue, including the stories of like the Splinter, like Splinters and um, and the Turtles' origins. There's also Ra- uh, Raphael's like encounter with Casey Jones. There's like a, a particular comic about Raphael and that whole thing. Uh, the rooftop battle, the sojourn to the farmhouse, and the final battle with Shredder, like all those elements you know, were in those early comics. And then also you just add in the elements of the 1980s animated series, uh, such as with like the turtle, the turtles having colored head, uh, colored bandanas because in the comics, they were all just sort of black and white. Uh, and then the love of pizza and <laughs> the elements of Michelangelo's character and April O'Neil is a television reporter instead of a computer programming, uh, lab assistant. Cause she used to be Baxter's assistant, right? Does anyone know? Yeah, 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 you're yeah. right. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of uh, pizza, it's a good time to, if you guys are hungry, <laughs> to do a snack time. Snack time. Quarantine. It's snack time. Quarantine. I asked you guys to bring a little weird snack along uh, for our lockdown snack. I like to say that I brought, I don't know, bagel bites, pizza hut, uh, you know, pizza rolls, Tostitos pizza rolls. But, you know, we're living in quarantine times and uh, our snacks are real sad. So uh, (laughs) who's got some good snacks? (laughs) Oh, man, I've got sad snacks here. I've got raisins. Oh, Oh. (laughs) nice. Yeah, my snack situation is looking a bit grim. I haven't left the house in about three days, so I need to go and buy some stuff. I have mm-hmm. rice cakes. That's about it. Rice Actually, cakes. Nice. I have. Uh, I bought some snacks a while ago that I was going to bring in, assuming, you know, that we'd be recording at work. Uh, I think I told you about this. I went to that Scandinavian supermarket and bought some stuff just because they had hilarious names. Oh yeah. So yeah. I have I have some plop and some spunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good on the spunk. <laughs> spunk, anyone? No? no. <laughs> so the plop is uh it's like a chocolate bar with caramel in mm. it. And like little mini ones. And the spunk, I believe, are like kind of gummy things. There's like licorice ones and <laughs> uh, and like no wine gum type things. <laughs> so yeah. What about you, Phil? What'd you bring for snack time? Show and tell. A, yeah, I just have a sad little pot of yogurt. Oh. <laughs> it's really weird. I, I'm the one with the uh, the most extravagant snack today, which is, uh, it's a far cry from last week's episode um, because I was bean. literally eating beans. <laughs> so this week, I decided to treat myself to a wagon wheel. Ooh. Uh, wagon wheels, to be honest, like I'd only just recently had one for the first time. Um, I think I've avoided it because of that old crow medicine, uh, medicine show song wagon wheel. Do you guys know that song? 
Yeah. I don't think I do. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let me just put it this way. Uh, you know how like when you hear a busker playing like Hallelujah all the time, or mm-hmm. or uh, maybe like Wonderwall. That's mm-hmm. basically what Old Crow Medicine Show's uh, wagon wheel is to my hometown. And every time <laughs> I went out somewhere, there was always just some asshole playing wagon wheel, so it would always like turn me off. Um, <laughs> but I got one here. And we're gonna. Is it a uh, is it a regular or is it one with jam? It's a jammy one. Yes, that's the one that you the want, one? man. That's the that's the. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's personal preference, but yeah. I think that is uh, far superior to the the, the normal red one. Mm. Yeah. The jam sort of tastes like jammy Dodgers. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. I can I can fuck <laughs> with that. Far better than the. Far better than the uh, beans and. Rivita Cracker had last week. So we're living large here on the PCC podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the bar's high now. Yeah. What are you going to do, guys? What are you going to do? Uh, when you guys reopen your doors, I hope there are now wagon wheels available for sale uh, <laughs> because I will be buying them in abundance. <laughs> Jam up only. Storm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send a note to Peter, the stock manager. Um, maybe, maybe wagon wheel will, you know, you know, give us some fucking money, you know, for promoting the shit. <laughs> Come a sponsor wagon wheel. We'll 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 give you shit out of the cinema. Um they ain't got much going on. I'm I'm all about that wagon wheel money these days, you know. Uh, John sold out. Yeah. Yeah. It's wagon wheels or only fans, you know. We've we've only got a few options left. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for you know, OnlyFans yet. I'm not sure if I want to like show off my beard on OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, uh, the Turtles, Steve Barron, he uh, he was able to bring along the Jim Henson connection. Um, so, the Turtles themselves, the costumes were created by Jim Henson's Creature Studio in London. Uh, Jim Henson said that the creatures were the most advanced that he had ever worked with. Uh, the creatures were first made out of fiberglass. And then remolded out of clay. They were produced as molds to cast the whole body in foam rubber. Um, And then basically that work took about 18 weeks to do. And they were, I think, pretty close to not even being able to ship them over because it was money issues with uh, basically new, uh, sorry, uh, Golden Harvest not having enough money to make the film. There was a whole issue with New Line hadn't really signed on fully yet and then also if they were going to sign on they weren't going to give enough money it was a weird whole thing with like basically money just kind of came out of nowhere from Raymond Chow out of uh, Golden like Harvest Tommy White now. yeah yeah it sounded like that when I was looking into it it was sort of like hey Tommy make Ninja Turtle <laughs> I promise you we're not going to lose money on this film <laughs> and then boom money came so then the creatures were sent over uh it was basically they shot this uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was super hot down there. So yeah, I mean they they were it was set in New York. There was a lot of stuff filmed in New York, just like certain shots and stuff for locations. But basically, that was just to get landmarks and stuff. But and it's funny because the film looks so New York, like you you yeah, actually yeah, yeah. just yeah. like forget about that, like that it was a lot of these things were filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, not too far from where I'm from, really. I have um I have a question about the suits. Maybe Luke can help me. 
Cause that's one of the most impressive parts of the first film, apart from like when you can see into the mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why do the suits get worse and worse? By the third one, they're completely like broken down. Like I don't know. Like how come they just didn't use the same suits? Well, yeah. So the suits did uh, over time just start to decay, and sort of like it's the same thing happened with all the Godzilla suits. Like always have to keep building new ones for each movie. Mm-hmm. Or like you know because they during the sixties when Taiho didn't have a lot of money, they were using the same suit. And you can see like you know as time goes on, it just wears down and down. When I spoke to uh, Kevin Eastman about it, he basically said, you know, we didn't have Henson for the third movie. Okay. It was, yeah. it was the, the, the Henson people weren't working on it and therefore the quality wasn't as good and they do look way worse. Yeah, they definitely. look so weird. Their mouths don't move properly and they have like these yeah. huge freckles and stuff. Yeah. And That's they just, it get, the films kind of get more cartoony as they Very, go along. But the yeah, first definitely. one, I like I rewatched the first two last night. And the first one especially, I think, stands up really well. Yeah, definitely. definitely. You know, it's I really agree. The costumes look still look pretty good. And, you know, you've got that whole really dark, gritty New York thing going on. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if they sort of use the darkness as well to sort of maybe hide the suits a little bit yeah. as well. I mean, because it is it a very works, yeah. dark film and it works so much. And then it's a lot lighter in the second movie. But then again, I think they also made the suits for the second film a little bit more functional because I think there was a lot of issues with like, you know, being able to move around in those suits and the actors needed a little bit more room to like, you know, be able to maneuver the stunt guys and all that. I mean... Uh, they, I think they also were, you know, because the suits were just so cumbersome in a way, they were shooting at a different frame rate as well. Like, so that, yeah. like, a lot of the action scenes and stuff were done, like, shot a little bit sped up uh, so that it looked like the, the turtles were moving a lot quicker than their, like, sort of, like, cumbersome rubber suit selves could actually allow, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> but, I mean, it was super hot in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, so actors were, like, in the suits were complaining about the heat. Uh, Ernie Reyes Jr., who would appear in the second film as uh, Kino, he was one of the stunt performers as Donatello in this film, and they liked him so much that they ended up just giving him a part in the second film. But yeah, he he said that basically he had to like drink a gallon of water every day because he was just becoming dehydrated every time he put the suit on. Uh, then also they were shot close to an airport, so this like basically was given problems with the turtle performers like. There was like radio controlled animatronic heads that they had. Oh, <laughs> like interference. Yeah, and there would be yeah. interference from radio signals from control towers and stuff, and it would cause their faces to just like just go into spasms and stuff. <laughs> it was really interesting, like that, that period of puppeteering work and you know, trying to sort of push how much you could use puppeteering work. I remember speaking with Paul Anderson about Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they said, like, the the one thing that he really didn't like about that movie was the Goro puppet because oh, yeah. it was a nightmare to work with. Like, he would have just rather put a guy in a suit. But they were like, no, 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 it's the last great animatronic. We're going to really push this forward. And, um, yeah, one of the actors was just like, he was the worst actor in the whole film because you're just standing there waiting for him <laughs> to be ready. <laughs> You'll be doing a take and all of a sudden it'll just start glitching out. You're like, oh, great. Well, to reset that whole thing and start all over. And yeah, he said with the, the turtles had a very similar problem with yeah. radio interference constantly causing problems. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to you, Luke, about um, things like, you know, child's play and stuff in the past. Uh, I, I'm a great admirer of any sort of like insane puppeteering in films over top of like instead of using like uh, CGI and stuff. Um, it's just amazing. Like I love seeing actual practical, you know, effects being used. 
so yeah, the Jim Henson stuff is absolutely incredible. It really makes like, especially that first film, just so amazing. Uh, Jim Henson was actually pretty unhappy with some of the violence that was in the film. Uh, he was he was basically only doing it because it was a favor to Steve Barron and also because his son Brian was down for it. But uh, he actually was kind of unhappy with a lot of the stuff that was going on. This is a recurring thing with the property. Like, why do people have such a problem with the violence? They're literally Ninja Turtles. If they don't fight, then what the <laughs> fuck are they doing? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, a little bit about the turtles themselves, the people in the suits. Uh, so the turtles would be the lead of the film. They got away with basically casting basically nobodies in this entire film uh, with the exception of one or two names. But yeah, I mean, the turtles themselves were the stars. It didn't matter. It's just guys in suits. So who cares? It's just like, you know, guys yeah, you in don't suits. need Johnny Knoxville yeah, voicing Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, basically the guys, it was a, a mix of actors and martial artists, stuntmen who and puppeteers basically uh, who were working for Henson's crew who were in the suits. And then basically you had voices dubbed by Brian Tochi, who played Leonardo. Brian Tochi was like in Revenge of the Nerds. And then he was also in like the police, one of the one or two of the police Academy films, like a little bit later in the series. Uh, Josh Pice, who played Raphael, he was also the only uh, voice actor to actually be in the suit as well. Um, and then Raphael had a great voice, yeah, proper Brooklyn type voice. Yeah, Yeah. so good. He's so New York. (laughs) Cricket? I don't know what cricket is. (laughs) Tell me, you didn't pay money for this. (laughs) It was a cricket line. You say you gotta know what a crumpet is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) to know what cricket is. (laughs) Oh yeah, and there's like the really good uh, thing about Raphael throughout the film. I always fucking love. Even as a kid, I remember this stuck out because, you know, when you're a little kid and you hear someone say a bad word, you're like, ooh. Oh, yeah. And he just says, damn, about. all the way through. It's just, damn. It echoes throughout the city. <laughs> so good. That, uh, that uh, moment as well, and the thing in the cartoon as well, and I don't understand how it works, but how he can go above ground, go see a movie, and all he has to wear is a trench coat and a hat, and nobody, nobody notices. Uh, yeah. love- it's not a giant turtle, it's just a guy in a suit. Yeah, I love when he, like, flips over the, the cab and uh there's just like the guy just sort of like what was that and he's like i don't know it looked like some kind of uh you know turtle in a in a trench coat <laughs> yeah. well, it must be halloween or something uh, uh you had robbie wrist who also great voice for michelangelo like in my childhood that just felt like that's michelangelo like uh, i mean i know i probably saw the films more i did watch the cartoons as a kid uh for sure but like the film's my God, the voices are just like, that's what I think of. And another voice, the most famous voice, is Corey Feldman, who uh, played Donatello. Donnie, yeah. Corey Feldman was sort of almost tricked into doing this for super cheap. He didn't get paid very much at all. I think it's just because um, the guys who were behind the production company just didn't really know what the film would be. I think they figured it might be a bit of a flop, so they managed to talk Corey Feldman into it for a very cheap price. And of course, the movie made millions. <laughs> uh, Donnie and Michael got uh, was my favorite exchange in the movie because it's kind of like the, the wonderful dynamic between the, the four brothers. Mm-hmm. Just when you've got Leo and Raph arguing, yes. and Donnie and Mike just look at each other and go, fight, fight, kitchen, kitchen. It's a Kodak moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's so many. My favorite, I'm not sure if it's with Donnie. I think, it, it, I think it's with Donnie and uh, Casey. 
where they try, they, they need to sneak in somewhere. I think they have to go underground or something or into a, a shaft or something. And Kate needs nervous. Maybe it's just going into like the, uh, like where they live. And he's like, you're a claustrophobic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Katie's like, yeah. do you want to punch in the mouth? I've never even looked at another guy. Yeah. A <laughs> little bit of... One of my favorite lines. Casual so homophobia thrown into a kid's film. Exactly. There's a, there's exactly. a few lines that are a bit like, a bit testy there. Because, uh, you know, you had April <laughs> O'Neil saying a couple of things that are a bit funny. Like when, when Michelangelo is doing his... Uh, is uh you dirty rat you dirty rat and then she you just goes oh that must be Splinter's favorite <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. is, is that racist I don't know <laughs> and then she also makes the joke about when the Foot Clan come and like approach her and she's like oh what am I late on my Sony payments <laughs> <It's> like oh <laughs> oh deep cut yeah. uh yeah Michelangelo has a couple of really good lines I love like when he's in the sewer. And um, he's waiting for the pizza to come. Yeah, and, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and he just like he throws up his like ten dollar bill, and the guy's just like, "Hey, you're short." And he's just like, "Hey, you're three minutes late." And he's like, "Couldn't find the place." And he's like, "Wise men say forgiveness <laughs> is divine, but never pay full price pay for full late price for late pizza." pizza. Yeah. <laughs> three bucks off, pizza dude got thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, it was funny when I when I rewatched it last night. It was the first time I'd seen it in years, but I think I still know it pretty much word for word yeah yeah, yeah. same here it stayed with you mm. yeah another great line is like I, I love when um they're watching the cartoons they're watching like the tortoise and the hare in april's house <laughs> and, oh, then, and they're getting really frustrated yeah. he's like ninja <laughs> kick the damn rabbit <laughs> <laughs> so good oh man all four actors who played in the in suit turtles also appeared in cameos, uh, appeared in the film with in cameos. So you had like David Foreman who played Leonardo. He was a gang member. Uh, I struggle with this name. Is it Michelin Sisti, uh, who played Michelangelo, like in the suit? He was the pizza delivery man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you had Leaf Tilden who played Donatello. He was a messenger, uh, of the foot. And then you had Josh Pice, who was a passenger in the taxi. So it was kind of funny. They all sort of played off themselves in yeah. certain scenes. So um, mm-hmm. that was pretty good. Uh, and then famously, you had good old Kevin Clash played uh, Splinter, and he voiced him as well. So Kevin Clash has worked for the uh, Sesame Street as Elmo for many years and a lot, <laughs> a lot of Jim Henson's things he did have a weird sort of uh issue legally (laughs) (laughs) yeah that may or may not be uh you know true i have no idea um but anyway he doesn't work for sesame street anymore Uh, the film's human stars were relative newcomers. Like I said, they basically didn't really cast any uh, famous people. Um, you had Judith Hogue as April O'Neil, and then you had Elias Coteas as uh, the vigilante former hockey player Casey Jones. Um, <laughs> but you also had... on steroids. <laughs> exactly. But you also had Sam Rockwell. Yes, Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell makes an yeah. appearance is the head thug is he's credited as, but he's basically the guy who's just recruiting all the teens. You want mental? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also funny enough, you had Skeet Ulrich who played in uh, the craft. Myself and Ariane talked a lot about Skeet Ulrich. Um, and then you also had uh, Scott Wolf who 
would later appear in Party of Five, but then he was also in that really bad Double Dragon movie. <laughs> uh, they both appeared as like un- unnamed members of the Foot Clan, and they're not even credited, but they are in the film. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, before I move on to the Shredder, uh, Judith Hogue as April O'Neil. I'm going to go ahead and say she's my favorite April on screen. Um, yeah, I prefer her. She's amazing. She's so good. Yeah. She's really kick-ass, really like, like I, I don't know. Like I feel like I, it's hard to say because, you know, I'm not, I was never a girl. Uh, but I feel like if I was like a little girl, I'd be like, hell yeah, April's cool as shit. Like she's like really badass. Like she doesn't really take much shit. She, uh, she's always like, you know, trying to pull one over on her boss and uh, over the police chief. She's like tough, you know, like she, of course she does have a bit of, you know, the woman getting saved thing going on. But I mean, when ninjas are attacking you, um, I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think she's pretty awesome. Um, when she was randomly recast as, as uh, another actress in the second film and the third film, it really confused me as a kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's nowhere near as good either. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't think she was given as good material to work with. I think one of the reasons why Judith works so well in the first movie is that, April feels like a really well-rounded character, mm-hmm. um, or at least I say well-rounded. She at least feels like a character, yeah. Um, whereas opposed to the other movies, where she's like she is just that, and it's kind of like how she was in the cartoons, where it's like you are just there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the movie, she's not way in. Mm. That's how we meet the child and through her. Though she needs to feel like a real person. She, I know she's great. She's second only to Megan Fox. <laughs> Ari, you just made Ariane really happy. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Ari. Uh, Ari did not partake in this episode mainly just because she's not seen the OG uh, Ninja Turtle films. She she likes the Michael Bay ones, or maybe she doesn't. I'm not going to put. God, I went to cinema. I went cinema to see. (laughs) (laughs) I went cinema to see both of those Bay movies, and both are disappointing. Yeah, and you know that's why I'm still desperate for us to put the 99 original. Even Secret of the Youth would go a long way to you know, remedy that. If I could see one of those on the big screen, that yeah. would help a lot. Hopefully one day. Uh, Judith Hogue, though, uh, like I said, she's she wasn't in the second film and she wasn't asked back for the sequels basically because she complained a lot on set. That's one thing I read. I don't know the full truth of it, but uh, do you guys want to take a stab at what she complained about? The violence. Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Apparently God she's damn it. upset about the violence that was going on. I think she complained I mean, about some other stuff and she was like, oh, this in, is stupid. In the name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they got their way. Like, you know, by the, the second one, they don't even use their weapons. And you're just like, what? Yeah, what, Leonardo what doesn't use his swords. Yeah. Exactly. Michelangelo fights with uh, sausage links. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Instead of fighting with, uh, you know, ninja weapons they instead fight with things you can find around the house <laughs> exactly no logic <laughs> oh man we're gonna get into a wrestling conversation because it's starting to sound like you know that good housekeeping match <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't try to Use everything in the, the injuries are real <laughs> uh so for the shredder we had a guy named james saito who played uh there was numerous people who were particularly like involved in the shredder because everyone had different voices and all that sort of stuff because basically they made him just sound like you know darth vader but asian um <laughs> but yeah you had james saito who actually played the older version of shredder and uh you may have seen him recently in Almi- always be my maybe he plays randall park's dad 
Harry. I know Luke liked that film. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that. That was on your cry list recently, right? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Throwing yeah, you out under the bus, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I've got a, a letterbox list of, um, I've just realized that ever since hitting my 30s, I just cry more at films. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes really weird films. So I just started creating a list of just like, what films made me cry this time? And uh, yeah, there are some of them on there where like, when we're watching a film, my wife said to me, was like, why are you crying? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I'm not. I wasn't Dude, trying to, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to literally throw you under the bus there. I think I think it's a nice thing, and uh, I love that film as well. So that's the reason why I said that. <laughs> it's a great movie. Uh, yeah. So, do you guys know who primarily edited the film before she was fired? She was fired. Not mm. really. Strangely worded question. Sally Minky. Yeah, Sally Minky. <gasps> Really? I so she yeah. Got fired from Turtles. Apparently, yeah. she was fired towards the end of production because Golden Harvest didn't like her work. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> famously, this good. is this is Sally Minky, who is primarily known for collaborating with Tarantino, and she's out of order. It's hard to, she's you know, done a lot of that. good stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just editing it like it was pulp. Shredder died at the beginning, and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> also, apparently, according to Josh Pice, who played Raphael, Steve Barron was also apparently fired during post-production. I don't know, because I only saw that in one source. Um, I don't know if you know any more about that, Luke. I do not know. I, I only had Steve for a very short period of time, so okay. I didn't get a chance to, to dive into that. So I'm afraid I do not know on that one. Yeah. So basically, take out of the grain of salt, also with Sally Minky as well. I mean, but actually, if you look at if you look up a little bit into the editing and stuff, there are a couple of other names that are listed as editors. So that could be a little bit more true. Um, but you would think if they fired the director of the film, he wouldn't really want to talk to anyone about it. And also they might've put another name somewhere as well, but I uh, don't really know about that one, but it's a bit weird. Uh, but this was the last theatrical film that Jim Henson was actually associated with. He, he died about a month and a half after the film's release. Um, I believe the film was dedicated to him or sorry, the second second film was was dedicated to him, uh, which would be the, uh, that one. And then also you had, uh, was it Muppets Christmas Carol were like the two big films that were dedicated to Jim Henson at the time. That's a bit sad, Mm -hmm. but you know, Hey, like, if he feels like he did one of his most advanced works ever and it was like the last thing he was actually working on, that's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hell of a way to go out. Yeah. Because, I mean, he made so many people's childhood, basically. I mean, I, I could literally just talk about for hours how many times I probably put those VHS tapes on and just wore them the fuck out. I'd love to <laughs> actually own those VHS tapes now, like uh, see if they even play anymore. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you can find, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube as well. I might've been one of the extras on the Muppet movie DVD, but there is just like, and it's not so much outtakes. It's just Frank Oz and Jim Henson walking around various locations as Kermit and Miss Piggy just loving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so Beautifully wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love Frank Oz as well. Um, so we've mentioned this a little bit. The UK version is called the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea they were called Ninja Turtles 
till I mean way <laughs> way later in I life. wanted to ask you guys this cuz I'm the only person from America on this podcast who I to be honest had no idea about mutant hero turtles until I was an adult <laughs> and I was just like what the hell Yeah see I was I was in Australia at the time so it was ninja turtles over there Okay so when we came back here I was like what the hell is this shit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah like, like when they they change them Yeah It's like learning Santa's not real uh, <laughs> he's not <laughs> oh shit <laughs> somewhere a Mick Foley has just died <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah this UK version it had uh, it removed all the eastern fighting weapons like the nunchaku uh, it also had alternate shots of Michelangelo in order to like conceal his his nunchaku weapon usage and it basically admitted the really awesome show-off duel between Michelangelo and the Foot Clan member. Oh, the best bits in the yeah. 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 The finale in the UK edit literally makes no sense because, <laughs> because oh, yeah, uses the whole, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to flip him. Splinter uses the nunchucks to kind of like flip him over. But in the UK cut of it, it looks like essentially someone just sort of sidesteps him. <laughs> <laughs> complete dunderhead just keeps running. <laughs> yeah. Boy, trips. <laughs> I wanted to ask about that because like in my notes, I basically have like about the scene with Shredder and the garbage and everything. But like it doesn't really, it didn't really go into much detail. So that's nice to know that's how it happened. Uh, they also edited <laughs> the Turtle Power song um, and it was edited to have the word hero instead of ninja mm-hmm. in it. Oh, horrible. <laughs> That's a great song, though. The Partners in Crime song is amazing because it literally just tells you the plot of the film. Yeah. It's like so good. Yeah. I love a rap song that tells you the plot of a movie. Exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's a lost art. Why it's my two favorite words. Exactly. Well, Will Smith was the last one. Would, right? How much better would the MCU be if every film <laughs> ended with a rap about what, what just happened in the movie? That's why I'm all about go ninja go i mean i think it's beautiful song. It. fucking ninja beautiful rap. song ninja rap is amazing uh yeah and also i'll I'll say this about that um because we're getting towards the end of what i have here and i was going to talk about ninja turtles too a little bit uh but yeah i mean ninja rap is sick and vanilla ice <laughs> is really fucking cool because Why vanilla the ice fuck is it vanilla ice in number two. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so here's how I'm gonna sell it to you. Okay, so I watched this thing once and it was about like one of those VH1 behind the music things, and it was about vanilla ice. And he was talking about his whole career, how he went into like weird like uh metal, like new metal sort of rap metal shit. And yeah. he started talking about like all this sort of stuff, and he was on those reality shows, and his career was just like all over the place, and people were just like, Well, what's like one thing that you're most proud of in your career? And he was just like, the ninja rap. That was the coolest thing ever. Aww. They asked me to be on Ninja Turtles 2. And I was like, oh, I would love to. And then like, I got to do that cool song and I was in the film and I danced with the turtles. It was amazing. It was one of That's my really favorite sweet. things. Yeah, I know. And that was just like, that touched me because I fucking love that movie. I'm going to yeah, go ahead too. and say that it was probably my favorite of the two, probably because of the time period. When it came out, and I oh, loved that so much. I love Token and Razor. I know people hate them because it should have been um, Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah, it should have been, been yeah. Bebop and Rocksteady, but you but, know, rights. But yeah, but you know, number two has another wrestling reference. If yes, I'm right, Kevin it does. Nash. Kevin Nash. Right, super yeah. Kevin Nash is super, super Shredder. So it was another that thing. Is a dumb death. I've that's, told you guys really before, stupid. I'm like, I was a nerd about wrestling from such a young age that I knew that that was Kevin Nash. And that was back when he was still Diesel. 
and I knew that his name was Kevin Nash. (laughs) But that was just because my dad would show me those like magazines and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was a proper vanilla ice kid as well. Like uh, To the Extreme is an incredible album. I will not have a bad word said about it. Um, I love the Ninja Rap. I love his cameo in Turtles 2. I think it's absolutely wonderful from start to end. I think it is really, really great. I will even go to bat for the, the, the new metal album that you spoke of then. I will go to bat for that Nevermind's <laughs> new metal album. Oh, no, the, it's good. The, yeah, the, his his remix of Ice Ice Baby, the new metal flavor, Ooh. is, oh, it's it's magnificent. It finally became his own. <laughs> <laughs> After all that time, it just took, you know, brilliant turtles oh. and drugs. I don't know what else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if we want to go back to this edited weird version of the UK's Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, the unedited version was released finally in 2004. Is that like when you guys would have seen it for the first time? Or you, Luke, maybe you, Phil? Uh, it certainly was the, when I saw that ending. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And no, me too. When you see it and you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes, that makes way more sense. <laughs> it's, um, it's like having your eyes, like, it, it's so, I, my... The only time I'd ever seen Back to the Future was we had a VHS copy of it that was taped off the BBC. Um, and it was, you know, a showing that had been on like at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was the TV edit version. And that was, for my money, the only, like, that was how Back to the Future was. Those were the lines of the movie or like the censored <laughs> swearing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So when my brother bought me the DVD collection when it came out and I watched it, I was like, oh, there's so much swearing in this movie. <laughs> All the lines are wrong. He uh, almost clicked with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> and I had that oh, same man. thing with, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, the 90s movie, uh, where I was just like, oh, wow, there's a lot more to this movie than I knew. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Before I wrap up with the how the film did and what went on after, I've got this one little thing that I meant to put up a little bit earlier, but I think it kind of fits nice here. It's just a weird, stupid bit of trivia. So... In the 1980s, the very first pitch that Kevin Eastman and uh, Peter Laird got for a film treatment was from Roger Corman himself from New <laughs> New World Pictures. And if you know anything about Roger Corman's history with doing things with superheroes, particularly the Fantastic Four, you might know that what's coming. Uh, <laughs> so the idea was to have the Turtles played by four comedians who were popular at the time. One of them, funny enough, is Gallagher. Uh, <laughs> the other one is Sam Kinison. All right. The next is Billy Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> and come on, come on, mime money. The final is <laughs> Bobcat Goldwaith. Oh, no. <laughs> so Bobcat definitely would have been Michelangelo, right? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> oh, God. That sounds like a really... <laughs> really bad Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the actors would have been dressed in turtle shells, and they would have their arms and legs painted green. <laughs> uh, another treatment at the time uh, took the turtles into R-rated territory um, and included a scene with partially nude nuns on roller skates fighting what? the heroes. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no sure, idea. Uh, Pretty sure partially nude nuns on roller skates was a uh, Roger Corman movie at one point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might have been. Or a Russ Meyer movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, no one believed in them. They didn't think they were going to be able to be a big success and everything, but it became the highest gross and independent film at the time. That was up until 1999's The Blair Witch Project. It grossed $202 million at the box office, and that's like worldwide. Uh, And that was on a $13.5 million budget. So that's pretty amazing. Also... Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember this, and I do vividly remember this. Uh, Pizza Hut was engaged in this <laughs> huge $20 million marketing campaign tied to the film. Despite the fact that Domino's was actually the product placement in the film, but they, yeah. weren't, able to, they weren't able to work out the, uh, the whole details of this. So Pizza Hut you know, jumped in, and they've been a longtime Ninja Turtles uh, supporter. Uh, basically, they had items including advertising and print, radio and, and uh, television and several rebate coupons. Also, I don't know how it was released in the UK, but in America, it was released on this uh, VHS. It was released like from this company called Family Home Entertainment. And I like just vividly remember the Pizza Hut commercial at the beginning of the film. Like it was always, and I always watched it. You know, like you could fast forward. I didn't fast forward it. I would just always watch this Pizza Hut commercial because it was like only like a minute long. Uh, I don't know if you guys had that in your home videos. My my version again was taped off TV. Oh, okay. Uh, I, yeah. A lot of the movies that I had when I was a kid were they taped off TV. So mm-hmm. like I I didn't have titles on home entertainment until I would have assumed the mid nineties by the time yeah. it actually aired on TV. <laughs> I did have a VHS copy of it that I got in Australia. I don't remember any Pizza Hut advert. Yeah. I don't know. It was very weird. It was like a baseball, like on a baseball pitch. And, um, oh, God damn it. Stop. You're American. It's a baseball field, not a pitch. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, these it's kids were just playing baseball. And, a baseball field. <laughs> and, it, and the song is, the song is in the background and it's just sort of talking about like, uh, sort of the kid just like, having to show up and play baseball and stuff. And like, and it's all the kids are looking at him and he's like a ball gets hit to him and he's out in the outfield and he, he's looking like, Hey, what's going on? And all the kids are pointing up in the air and then he puts his glove up and he catches it. And then they take him to pizza hut. And then you realize that the catcher is Goldberg from the mighty ducks. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. It's a great, it's a great, great commercial. I might actually put the audio in uh, because it's really funny. Game's dragging on, there's strikes on the batter, some runners are on. Then suddenly everyone's looking at me. My mind has been wondering what could it be. They point to the sky and I look up above. And a baseball falls into my glove. I play right. It's important you know You gotta know how to catch You gotta know how to throw That's why I play in right field Way out where the dandelions grow As a proud sponsor of Little League Baseball Pizza Hut welcomes all the kids who make it great Making it great But also with Pizza Hut came Coming out of their shell (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys remember this? 
only yes, of through, course. yeah, only through cultural osmosis have I yeah. been, uh, you know. I mean, I, I, there were certain songs that I did know of because they they feature in the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was yeah, like when the internet became a, a big thing. Like, we got the internet in our house in the late, I want to say the late nineties. Only got in school in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, um, and that was when I discovered things like, oh wow, it's called Ninja Turtles, and then you kind of hear about all these <laughs> other things. Yeah, and you're like whoa, this is a whole side yeah. of Ninja Turtles I never knew about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole region uh, or section of pop culture which I didn't know about yeah <laughs> I, I should have messaged uh, John earlier saying if you do talk about it I'm not coming on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> so basically we all love Pizza Power yeah what this yeah. is is uh, it was through Pizza Hut they they basically created a rock tour and they had really bad costumes but they all the God. so all the costumes were ridiculous looking and they all all the turtles basically had extra like rock and roll attire on with like studs and denim and sequins and all sorts of shit and then they were playing non-functional guitars singing <laughs> really bad songs but the best thing ever was was splinter cuz splinter well actually no shredder was pretty great too cuz shredder was just like you could see his full face basically and he just had this really horrible costume and he just came out and talked shit to all the little kids but then <laughs> But then you had Splinter who had this out of nowhere, like all the songs are really upbeat. April had like a really sort of, I don't know, like power ballad, but it at least sort of fit a little with a little bit more of a heavy tempo. But Splinter comes out really early on in this thing and just starts singing this really horrible like ballad song. And it's like really skipping stones. Skipping stones. <laughs> it's so weird. That's it's so one. horrible. Uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't know how I didn't know about this as a kid. So I'm assuming either my parents ne- or in my cousin, David, they never, I don't know how he wouldn't have known this. He was such a turtle head. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he had it. And then his parents told my parents, Hey, don't show this to your kids. Cause it's like, I don't, yeah, it's just, you know, doing them a solid, like it'll ruin your life. They'll never stop playing it. And it's going to be horrible. But yeah, I mean, like, I just didn't know about it until like years later. I was at a friend's house and uh, we were just sitting around drinking some beers, and <laughs> they they were like, "Hey, uh, you guys want to put something on TV?" And I was looking at his tape collection. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> and like, I put it on, and like, we were watching it, and we were dying laughing, and ah, uh, and I was like, "How did I miss this?" And it was soon after. It was like 1990 that this whole thing happened. Uh, oh God. But yeah, if you've never seen it, listeners, go to YouTube and just type Ninja Turtles coming out of the shell. I'm pretty sure the whole show is on YouTube. (laughs) It's worth a laugh, at least for about two minutes, and then you'll probably get sick of it and wish you'd never seen it, and you'll probably unsubscribe to this podcast. (laughs) If I can give a a YouTube recommendation as well, because you were talking about the the various edits of the movie. Mm -hmm. If you want to do a big, deep dive into the various edits, there's a uh, YouTuber called uh, Phalian Porteous. It just goes by the name Phalus. And he did, it's about a half hour video of all the different cuts of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the various different regions and the differences between them. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get super nerdy about it and watch, <laughs> and watch, you know, the same scene being played six times in a row with varying different bits of lighting, <laughs> then it's it's worth a watch. Nice. I, I'm sure there's probably someone out there who's like well up for that. Um, yeah, it's which me. is great. It's yeah. You. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my name's Luke. What do I like? Wrestling <laughs> and watching 
six different <laughs> versions of Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Scene comparisons. <laughs> uh, following the huge success of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, though, at the box office, of course, they were like, well, this makes money, so let's make, let's make a sequel. And they did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, which we talked about a little bit. That was released in 1991. And that was also a big hit. It was obviously not as good as the first one. I personally love it, but, you know. They really didn't waste any time there, did they? Yeah, they did not. No. Not at all. I think it was out less than a year. Yeah. After the first one, it was less than a year. Yeah. And then in 93, they created um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Which, <sighs> even the as a kid, I struggled. Yeah, yeah, I struggled with this. Well, that's the thing with third movie; they always have to go back in time, and it just it it no, so it's like Back to the Future Three. It got that same feel to it. Mm-hmm. Not obviously <laughs> not as good as Back to the Future Three, but still feels like really alien to the rest of the theory. Like it doesn't make yeah. any sense. It's so weird. Yeah, and that very much was the case of because Eastman and Laird were just shooting down all ideas that were put in front of them. Um, apparently lead is was the more difficult of the two mm-hmm. um and yeah it just wouldn't like and that's why you know bebop and rocksteady weren't allowed to be in the second one because yeah. they were like well we'd rather you don't put those in so they were like well we'll just call them a different name then we'll just put, call them uh <laughs> Toker and, and raza and yeah with the third one it was just you know the, the director and everyone was just pitching various ideas of from the, the canon and stuff and they just kept shooting down every idea so their eventual idea was just well, fuck it. We'll create our own characters then because they can't stop <laughs> us using those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. I mean, like the, the whole thing was the Turtles in Time thing. And I'm not really sure what came first, the Turtles in Time video game or this film, but it was sort of them going back to the like feudal old Japan. times, feudal Japan. Yeah. And they had to save. It's very mass- much a coincidence. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And they had to, pre- I remember they were protecting uh, Master Yoshi, who was uh, Splinter's master as a little child. And I know that was the whole sort of premise, but I could not make it through that film. Like since like, I'm sure I watched it quite a few times as a kid and I knew then it was horrible, but as an adult, when I've tried to watch it, I was like, Oh, can't do it. Cannot do it. Yeah. yeah me too. Same, yeah. Yeah. Haven't we watched it in like my adult life, but I remember vividly watching it as a child. And even then knowing this is not good. <laughs> the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one thing I did like about it was, like a little bit further into the turtles underground layer that they um that new layer they found in the second film so that was pretty nice to see a little bit more of that and then also of course you had Elias Coteus come back as Casey Jones who was not in the second film but I did love Kino in the second film so hey whatever <laughs> Surf Ninjas anybody like Surf Ninjas Oh god I remember that I loved that film when I was a kid Yeah I mean, it's I primarily loved it because yeah. Ernie Reyes Jr. was in it, and I was just, yeah, Rob Schneider's yeah. in it. Oh, <laughs> Leslie Nielsen is the yeah, guy. yeah. God, Surf Ninjas is amazing. One day, maybe we'll talk about that. <laughs> isn't yeah. there like a big? Isn't there a big Game Gear tie-in for it as well? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah there's the a little, little kid. Brother's got a Game Gear. Yeah, and he, basically everything he's playing in the game happens in the film. <laughs> amazing! That's so great. Yeah, it's really cool. So after a 14-year absence, I have no idea why it took so long. I didn't do enough research on that. Um, what happened after the third film? Maybe it's just because that film sucked. Uh, it took <laughs> them a long time to make a f- another film, and that was TMNT, and that was in 2007. But this was a CGI film. Good movie. It's underrated. To be honest, yeah. I still haven't seen it. 
And it's not, I know no, it's it, meant to be good. I just never saw it. I don't know why, but hey, I've got a man. little thing that's brewing that will tie into this film. And Phil, you know what I'm talking about. Because um, the year <laughs> it came out. Uh, and then also, of yeah. course, Michael Bay has done God damn it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Um, Seamus is in it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's in the thicker one. Yeah. <laughs> If we gotta have a wrestling, and that's it. That's all that can be fed. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can can't say. have a Ninja Turtles movie without having a wrestler for some reason. <laughs> and uh, Tyler Perry is Baxter Stockman. Yeah, what? <laughs> oh, fuck <laughs> Yeah, I did not know that until actually probably a few weeks ago. I read that and I was like, "What?" I've <laughs> not seen those films. Uh, and it's not really just because uh, the turtles are butt ugly, but it's just because I, <laughs> I have respect for. My my old turtles and I don't need to see them and is like I I don't I'm not even going to play those games like oh they're ruining my childhood because they didn't because I'm talking about this now and I love Ninja Turtles still and my childhood was pretty sweet because of it so and turtles are still going really strong elsewhere like the yeah, the definitely. cartoons on TV are still really yeah, they good they reboot I, the cartoon every few years it yeah seems. yeah sort of yeah, like Batman. Exactly, and the IDW book is still going, and it's just good. And Eastman is writing it again, so mm-hmm. like Turtles like never went away, but the movie come and go. Yeah, Have, has anyone seen the Toys That Made Us episode? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Was really oh, good. That final scene, mm. oh, good where they come oh, together. Did that one make yeah, you cry? Right. It did, yeah. <laughs> it a great, did. There's a great documentary as well. It was made a few years ago, so it doesn't have that sort of ending. But I think it's called Tell Power. Yeah, that's right. Like, it is, really yeah. yeah, and it's like that's yeah. a really good documentary for anyone interested. It just it covered like the first 20, 25 years of the Turtles history. Really, really interesting. I am. Um, I really like the twenty thirteen series, the Nickelodeon one. That's it's, the one. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's, good. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Like all five. It had one I, of I the, the same voice seasons. actors. Uh, it did. From the yeah. Original series. But doing yeah, Donatello. Yeah, different character. Yeah. yeah. He used to do Raphael. It's nice. Absolutely amazing. It's a really, really great series. As to why I, uh, if I was to spitball ideas as to why it took them so long to make more Turtles movies, it might just be because Hollywood is stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> they don't want to make money. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I, I think, you know, with Turtle Mania very much died down after Turtles 3. It's funny, you, you mentioned my Games Master podcast. We, one of the episodes we just covered um, reviews Turtles in time. It reviews Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 on the Super Nintendo. Uh, and nice. all the reviewers there are talking about how the Turtles are just lame. Oh, oh my God. God. They're so, they're like, one of them calls it tragically unhip. And, <laughs> and, you, and you actually look back at the time, you know, late 1992, you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I think around that time the Turtles were a bit uncool, um, particularly, you know, from adults. Yeah. And so Hollywood certainly didn't have an interest, but also Hollywood just kind of groups things together in these sort of weird things. Mm-hmm. And when I was, uh, doing my uh the book on video game movies when uh during the uh the, my research for uh the tomb raider film apparently like they had this paramount had this big budget set aside for it and they were gonna go with it with steven d'souza and this you know the man behind the script and then mystery men bombed at the box office <laughs> <laughs> so paramount and their influence were like well mystery men whether well, we were expecting that to do batman money it did, it did, it did mystery men money and <laughs> Video games are the same thing, so you can't have your budget. And there's just like just the weird way the Hollywood works. Just like once one thing fails, they're like, "Well, let's never do that again." And then it <laughs> takes them a long, long time before they try it again. I want to go out and put this out there that I I 
definitely saw Mystery Men in theaters, and oh, I yeah. was so excited to see it. And it got they got my money, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man! Ben Stiller and Kel Mitchell in the same film. Of course, oh, no, that's a great movie. Right? We can all Angus agree. Area, on that. I was there for it. Jane Galapagos, yeah. I was there for it, man. Yeah, great. Great. I, I actually wouldn't mind rewatching it. I'm sure it's probably no. It's probably horrible. <laughs> it's probably horrible. No, no. no. I rewatched it recently. It's funny. Is it good? Okay. It's good. No, honestly, good. It's this weird, like, version of the superhero genre. It's <laughs> really, really interesting. Before it was the thing. Yeah. It'd be a good episode. Yeah. Be a good episode. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Just could we'll never show that at the pre- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like Phil said, this is something we never get to show the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It celebrates 30 years. Basically, just the other day, it was the 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 day it came out 30 years ago. And uh, funny enough, I didn't realize that. I remember Natalie said to me the other day that she didn't realize until Phil had tweeted it. Um, I didn't realize that it was the 30th anniversary until Paul, shout out Paul, sent me <laughs> a WhatsApp message. And it was like something with like Ke- Kevin Eastman was like doing a watch along with the first film. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Like oh, it was sort of like nice. a, um, it was sort of like a, I don't know, one of these COVID-19 watch party sort of things. But, um, yeah, so that was really cool. Unfortunately, it was really, really late our time because uh that's how everything works with us luke i'm sure you know (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah happy birthday 30th birthday to teenage mutant ninja turtles it's almost as old as me and uh (laughs) i feel like that's um pretty good i mean it it was it was my childhood was was ninja turtles and it's really nice to have sat here for over an hour with a lot of people i like a lot and get to talk about a really cool film uh, if you guys want to give a last minute sort of loved and appreciation to the turtles, feel free. Yeah, same. Like I was a huge, huge turtles fan as a kid. Uh, lots of fond memories. So yeah, happy birthday, turtles! <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell uh, the producer Tom Gray that it was one of my favorite films of all time, and uh, he effectively told me I was stupid uh, <laughs> for, for thinking that. <laughs> He's like, "There's way better movies out there." Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I also slightly embarrassed myself on a call with Kevin Eastman because I suddenly realized I suddenly had this moment when I was on the phone with him. It was like, oh my God, you, you shaped my childhood. You shaped a lot of my childhood. Uh, and then I suddenly realized towards the end of the call, I was wearing turtles pajamas. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and uh, I suddenly thought, I was like, wow, that'd be cool to tell him that like, Hey, Back in the oh, day, I used no. to wear Turtles PJs, and now here I am in my 30s, and I'm still wearing Turtles pajamas. And there's just this <laughs> brief silence, and it's like, yeah, it's cool, man. Like, oh, yeah, so I'm going to go now. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I was going so well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this, I love uh, the, the first Turtles movie. I think it's so good. It really holds up, really, yeah. really holds up, compared to like a lot of the movies that came out at that in that period of time where some of them look quite dated. Uh, you know, even the second two, you could argue, are quite dated because one of them features vanilla ice. Um, <laughs> but the first one stands up today, like 30 years on, it holds up with the grace. And yeah, I, I can't can't love it anymore. Uh, and I, I will re-watch it every year until the day I die. I, I second that. It's one of my favorite movies as well, and I, I'm not going to feel bad. I do feel stupid now, but yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's the, you know, I really... I saw John was doing this. I was like, I just had to jump on just to even listen to, again, a bunch of us talk about Ninja Turtles for an hour and a half. It's been a joy. Um, I think it's great. Yeah, I think it really stands up, really holds up. 
I think it's one of the better, more interesting comic book movies to be released. Easily the best turtled movie. It's just, it's the perfect middle ground for any sort of fan. Like it's got the fun, you know, lightness um, from the cartoons, like you're saying, the, the different personalities of the turtles and their pizza loving and the skateboarding and all that. Uh, but it also carries a lot of the drama, depth, darkness of the comics. So it's just a great mix of everything that makes the turtles so sort of special. And it's just really, really worth watching. Even if you don't like Ninja Turtles, I don't know why you wouldn't, but <laughs> uh, it's great. Honestly, it's not good. And yeah, um, 30 years, it's just a great excuse to rewatch it. Yeah, get on that, so. Ari. <laughs> don't let michael bay put you off yeah <laughs> well that's us here at the pod charles cinecast uh we're gonna wrap up now um i just want to thank my two guests for joining us uh well our two two guests sorry phil yeah for joining you. us no. <laughs> uh so yeah natalie it was great having you back on uh where can people find you and do you have anything cool coming up uh, well, I've got some time on my hands at the moment. As you <laughs> um, so I've been trying to get back into doing some gaming stuff. Uh, so you can find me on YouTube at Left Hand Shake and same on Twitch. So yeah, if you're interested in that. I play mostly kind of um, Bethesda games, like I'm playing some Elder Scrolls Online, some Doom probably. <sighs> uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of Animal Crossing just to mix things up. So yeah, that's where you can find Just it. Everyone's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so addictive. Everybody's doing it. I'm just replaying Simpsons Hit and Run at the moment. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. I'm replaying Grand Theft Auto San Andreas on my iPhone. Nice. And it's a it's amazing. I love it. Um, because I don't have a console. So hey. Uh Luke, it's been absolutely a privilege to have you finally on the podcast. Been so, a long time coming. I know you're a listener as well. Uh, so that's awesome. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're a pal of mine and it's great to have you on finally. Uh, so one question before I let you plug away at what you do. One thing we ask all newcomers on this podcast, if I remember. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since we had a new person on. Uh, Luke, sweet, salted, or mixed popcorn? Ah, salted. Yes, salt gang. Salt gang. Salted man. Salted man. Okay, wait, but John, can we add one more just for this episode? Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle? Yeah, who's your favorite Turtle? (laughs) (laughs) I actually meant to write that down and stupidly I didn't. Yeah, great question. (laughs) Uh, Like quick round table, who's your your turtle choice? Uh, uh, Mine, Donatello. Donatello is my guy. Sweet. Phil? Uh, Michelangelo, he's a party dude. Sick. All right, Natalie. Uh, mine was probably Leonardo. All right, Leonardo. You want to finish it off, John? Leonardo gang. I yeah, it's funny. I uh was hoping that maybe one of you guys, well, Natalie was going to say Raphael or something, because we could all have the four. But yeah, I was a Leonardo guy, <laughs> yeah. guy as well. I mean, you could say Raph and Lie, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Raphael. I I love him hey. in this film. He's Damn! good as well. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> All the good uh, ones end in O. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh yeah, Luke. Uh where can people find you? Feel free to plug your all your tings that you're doing. Um and yeah. I mean, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's been a real privilege to be a part of this. As I said, I've been looking to get onto this show ever since you started it. I've essentially been sort of needling at you, like, John. 
John, when I can come on the podcast? Um, so thank you so much for having me on, particularly to talk about this for, you know, hour 40 now. I've just loved every moment of it. But uh, yeah, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at this is Luke Owen. Um, yep. Wrestle Talk. If you are a fan of wrestling, we do daily news episodes and podcast reviews. We've got the Wrestle Talk podcast um, and a very cool Patreon. Uh, and in my spare time, I also co-host a podcast that looks back and watches every episode of Games Master. There's a 90s, early 90s uh, video game challenge TV show here in the UK hosted by Dominic Diamond. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun revisiting that with my friend Ash. Uh, so you can find that at, uh, sorry, you can find it under consultation, it's called. If you search for Games Master, you should find it. We're at under console pod on Twitter. But yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. No, no worries, man. Uh, it's been great. And uh, oh, I should have plugged the book. Sorry, I wrote a book. Oh yeah, you got a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did mention it at the beginning, uh, but yeah, you got a book. Yeah. Plug it. Plug it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lights, camera, game over. How video game movies get made. Available from all good bookstores that are online. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely on Amazon. Uh, yeah, Luke, great, man. Um, and hopefully, when this is all over, we'll get another Wrestle Talk thing going on at the cinema because uh, that was always fun. Um, but yeah, you can find myself at Tall for All, T A L L, the number four A L L, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also find Phil at uh, home in a ball <laughs> with his Simpsons <laughs> mug. And uh, yeah, his. his Seriously, boy. how do you know? I've got my camera turned off. <laughs> <laughs> your, your like photo here on Skype is just Homer in his, in his pants on a, on a couch. <laughs> That's <great>. me. <laughs> no, Phil, you're at Far Away Sad, right? On Twitter. You can find me at Far Away Sad on Twitter and in real life sick (laughs) and uh together the podcast we are the pcc podcast on twitter and instagram you can pop us an email at podcast at princecharlescinema.com and like i said uh just join the pcc's mailing list we're going to be featuring that a little bit more uh we're not going to be the dirty little secret of the prince charles cinema anymore and also (laughs) also uh we're gonna oh man (laughs) damn uh, yeah, so follow us at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We have a lot of stuff going on. We're going to try to keep bringing some more stuff to you. And I just want to say, yeah, uh, collectively, can we get a Kawabunga to see us out? <laughs> <laughs> you have to count us off. Yeah, count us in. Three, two, one. Kawabunga! My flatmates are in. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more time. <laughs> All right, that's good. Go, go ninja, go ninja, go, 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 go ninja, go ninja, go, go. Oh, please stop. <laughs> <laughs>